Hi. By now you know that I'm Jason Flom, and here on Righteous Convictions, I get the privilege of speaking with some of today's most prominent and active agents of change, people who see the wrong in the world and are driven to make it right. Today's guest began as a Catholic nun serving an impoverished New Orleans parish, but contact with a death row inmate transformed her calling and catapulted her into global recognition as one of the world's leading death penalty abolitionists. Eight out of every 10 people in this country that has ever sat on a death row cell and been executed is because they killed a white person. Because white life is much more highly valued and there's outrage when white people get killed, whereas when people of color get killed, nobody's outraged. Negligible life, negligible death. Several books, an opera, and an Academy Award-winning film later, our guest continues to move public perception in her advocacy for the end of the death penalty in the United States. Sister Helen Prejean, right now on Righteous Convictions. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome back to Righteous Convictions. This is the show where I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I get to interview some of my personal heroes, people who are doing righteous things in the world just because it's right. And today we have one of the people I most admire, Sister Helen Prejean, who has done as much or more than anyone to help change the narrative and shift public perceptions about one of the most disgusting things in our society, which is the fact that we still have the death penalty in America to this day. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Sister Helen Prejean. Sister, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really glad to be here. So, Sister, we're going to get into how your death penalty mission began in a minute, but I want to start with this question. Why do we kill people to show that killing people is wrong? There have been a number of cultural factors, sociological factors that happened. Crimes started rising in the 70s, and actually politicians got a hold of this issue. And I say cultural because it's really clear now the pattern is that in the former slave states, it's very popular to be tough on crime, especially against people of color. Politicians went for it in the 80s. All the rhetoric you heard was, we got to go for the death penalty. These crimes are so terrible. And it was based on this fundamental 
an arrogant belief that we're going to be able to sort out the worst of the worst murderers, not your ordinary murderers now, not your garden variety, but the worst of the worst. We can sort that out. And then we have a system in which we're going to be able to apply all the rights of the Constitution and carry it out. We'll never make a mistake. And so we started killing people. The American public that I believe are good, I stand strong in the goodness of the American people were made to be afraid. Politicians got currency from it. Prosecutors in Louisiana would brag about how many death penalties they got when they were running for another office. And so people were benefiting from it and the people were shielded by the secret ritual of actually seeing what it means to take a conscious imaginative human being and strap them down and kill them. And I got thrown in as a witness to all that. Yeah, you sure did. And that was the origin story that I was talking about. You have been a spiritual advisor to many people on death row. And of course, you've witnessed many executions as you are there with them at the very end. And I wanted to talk a bit about your first time. Before your death penalty abolition advocacy, you were doing what nuns do, teaching, serving your community. And to do so effectively, you decided to live in a housing project rather than a convent in an impoverished area of New Orleans. And eventually, an acquaintance put you in touch with a man on death row named Patrick Saunier. And what you witnessed in the final part of Patrick's life inspired you to tell others about it to try to turn the tide against this barbaric process that you had witnessed. So you wrote a book, Dead Man Walking, which in turn became a film that starred two of the greatest actors in the world, Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn, and it won an Academy Award and also birthed a musical and an opera. (laughs) What a way to start. Incredible. And while all of that is exciting, your original intent was to bring people on a journey inside their minds, to, to change their hearts and minds. As the people's consciousness and conscience changes, political leaders change, and eventually the Supreme Court will too. And that basic journey, which is where I try to take people in Dead Man Walking, what the film does, what the opera does too, the starting point is look at that crime and look at those suffering victims and feel the outrage. Because outrage at the killing of innocent people is a moral imperative for us. And then, as my editor at Random House helped me shape the narrative in Dead Man Walk, and then you got to take people. Okay, let's say we as a society, people that do these terrible crimes, like Pat Sonier killed in cold blood, two teenage kids shot him in the back of the head after raping the girl. That fits the criteria. So now let's let government then carry out justice. And then you get all the rhetoric The only justice of someone who's been killed like this is to give him death because of what he did. And you go in with the presumption we're going to be able to do it right. I had no idea when I got into it and met that first man on death row, the difference defense makes, and that it's only poor people who are selected to die. And so then you got to take people with you take them into the execution chamber, which is a secret ritual behind prison walls. And there's this saying in Latin America, what the eye does not see, the heart cannot feel. So those of us who have been witnesses, you got to take people there. Look at what it is to render a person now defenseless and deliberately kill them. 
That's the journey we have to make. And those of us who have been witnesses, I mean, I know my mission is to bring people into this story and help them get there. Outrage about the crime on one hand, but then, oh no, this is torture. This is the government deliberately in a premeditated way, killing a human being. When I get into a argument with someone who believes in the death penalty, I say to them, what percentage of innocent people is it okay to execute? Because you have to recognize that the system doesn't function anything like perfectly. But even if we removed all the obstacles, even if everybody was doing their level best and nobody was dishonest and defense lawyers were paid adequately and prosecutors didn't have ulterior motives or even reverse incentives and judges were all on their A-game every day, all of these things are impossible under the current situation and probably never really totally achievable anyway. But even if that were the case, there's still going to be human error. So what percentage of innocent people is it okay to execute? That's very rational what you're asking. What percentage? It's almost a metric. 2%, 10%, 15%. Right. And when we know that we have executed as many innocent people as we have. So, for instance, you mentioned Louisiana. When Harry Connick Sr. was DA, he had put eight people on death row at one point, and six of those people were eventually exonerated. Six out of eight. We know that in Florida, they've executed 99 people since the reinstatement of the death penalty. And in that same period of time, 31 have been exonerated from death row in that same state. Let's not even get into the innocent people who Florida has executed, people like Jesse Tafaro. But even if we were to throw what we know about those cases out the window and, and say, okay, they got it right. Every time they executed somebody, they were guilty. We know it's not true, but let's just go with that. So even if we were to disregard Jesse and others, they're still only getting it right around 70% of the time. I mean, how can we go on this way? The American people are good. You bring them there and you say, for every eight people we've executed, we've had to let one person get off because we made a mistake. Would you buy an airplane ticket where you got a one in eight chance that the plane's going to go down. We are making so many mistakes, but you got to help people understand it's been flawed from the beginning. The Supreme Court, when they put back the death penalty in Gregory, Georgia, they put an impossible, fuzzy criteria, only the worst of the worst. Nobody knows what that means. Coupled with the discretion of prosecutors to go for death or not. And we just watch what that means with Trump and Barr. After 17 years, no executions on federal death row. They decided to kill 13 people, and they did, because it's their discretion. So it was flawed from the beginning. It can never work. And we're beginning to see it doesn't work. And the country is shutting down the death penalty. State after state is putting it down. Even Virginia the first of the ex-Confederate states, Black Lives Matters making a huge difference because you can see the racism that is in the death penalty. Eight out of every 10 people in this country that has ever sat on a death row cell have been executed is because they killed a white person. Because white life is much more highly valued and there's outrage when white people get killed, whereas when people of color get killed, nobody's outraged. Negligible life, negligible death.
This episode is underwritten by Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, a leading international law firm. Paul Weiss has long had an unwavering commitment to providing impactful pro bono legal assistance to the most vulnerable members of our society and in support of the public interest, including extensive work in the criminal justice area. So when you go in for the trial of your life, for your life or your death, you have constitutional rights. But if you don't have an advocate by your side to make those rights actualized, they don't exist. And then when you get to the appeals, which death of innocence, I talk about, the Supreme Court has set up so many procedural bars to people when they finally, like Joseph Odell in Virginia, finally he got Barry Sheck freely. I'm gonna do a DNA test. And Virginia wouldn't let him get the DNA test, said your time's expired. You were supposed to get the test early. And they let Virginia kill Joseph Adele, and then they destroyed the DNA evidence. You got to break it down that when you turn over this killing to government and individuals, the prosecutors, even the president of the United States, it's going to be flawed. You got to show them that. And sister, I can't even begin to count how many times I've heard about a DA's office somewhere in this country refusing to do a DNA test or even authorize a DNA test, which would conclusively scientifically prove guilt or innocence of someone who's on death row awaiting execution. And the whole impetus of a law and order political moment often drives this, ironically, it drives this aversion to truth and justice. When people are wrongfully convicted, eight out of every 10 times, it's prosecutorial misconduct because they have charge of that evidence and they put their sights to get somebody because they're under public scrutiny, even though there's other evidence in the police report on that shows it might have been somebody else. And they get caught in this political thing of going to get a sentence because it ups their assurance by the public that they'll be reelected. Right. And then, of course, the actual perpetrator remains free as the innocent person remains on death row with their life in the balance, which brings to mind an almost incomprehensibly terrible case that I know you have a very personal connection to. And that, of course, is the case of Richard Glossop in Oklahoma. Can you please talk about that? Because it's hard to believe he's still 20 something years later, he's still facing execution. Sure. Let me tell you, in one sense, Jason, it's not incomprehensible. It fits into the pattern because that was Bob Macy as the DA or assistant DA. He went for the death penalty 54 times. So here comes this murder. And this is a motel owner killed with a baseball bat. And they have the guy, what's his name, Sneed. Yeah, Justin Sneed, right. Who's a severe meth addict. And they threatened him with the death penalty. And he confessed that I killed the person with a baseball bat. But Richard Glossop hired me and was the mastermind. So that's one step removed. Look at this. Look how tenuous it is. But why did it happen? Because Bob Macy wanted it to happen, that discretion of prosecutors. And we are seeing the pattern across the United States, less than 2% of counties are responsible for over 50% of people on death row. And Richard Glossop got caught in that. He got caught in cowboy Bob Macy's 
whole thing of I'm going to cut as many notches on my belt. And that's part of it. I met him on the phone. He called me in early January 2015. Richard, he just said, Sister Helen, this voice he has, he's got this sweet, soft voice. He just goes, Sister Helen, I apologize. I know I didn't ask your permission or nothing, but I put you down to be with me if I'm executed because I think you could help me. Uh, excuse me for not asking your permission. And boy, I hung up that phone after talking to him that night. Of course, I said I'll be there. And I woke up and I went. And from what I knew of the case, I went, that man is not, he's not guilty. And I got on the phone and called up Susan Sarandon. She had done these death row stories with Robert Redford on CNN. I said, we got to start getting out to the media. Look at what Justin Sneed said. Look at all the different versions he gave and just start raising the questions. And then what happens is people of good heart and goodwill see this and they start getting involved like Richard Branson. He takes out full page ads. And so the discussion builds, then social media gets on there. There were over 300 million people that knew about Richard when he was up for that first execution date in January, 2015. And there was enough of that buildup to stay the hand of Oklahoma. Three times they brought Richard close to death. And three times that hand was stayed because of public opinion and people watching Oklahoma. Right. I mean, he was actually strapped to the gurney twice. One time they were going to go ahead and execute him with food preservative. They, they brought the wrong damn drugs and they were fine with that. But it was the governor who finally said, no, that's a step too far, even for us. Well, wait, hold on. The governor only said that because the world was watching. Yes. And they were going to do to him what they had done to the person before, you know, with the food preservative, because they were so lax in the way they're doing the drugs and lying about. She only did that because of world opinion. She would go to basketball games when people were being executed. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 
When you were a completely uninitiated person in this space, you had never been a witness, but when you first went to death row to visit Patrick Sonier, can you take us back to that moment? I got to tell you, I knew nothing about the criminal justice system. And when I walked on death row for the first time after writing this man, Patrick Sonier, letters, letters are real connections, you know, and, and the guards brought him in. They had locked me in a room. It was all super secure, death row, the whole bit. And I heard him coming with the guard. I could hear the, the leg irons dragging on the floor, which is ironically the last sound I kind of remember is his leg irons as he was brought to execution. They brought him in. They locked him in a, a as big as a telephone booth, and there was this heavy mesh wire screen between us. And I looked through. And for the first time, I saw his face. And I went, my God, he's a human being. I didn't know the crime yet. It's going to be a whole journey. But I looked in that face, and he was a human being. And so the connections, everything. You know, when I came out of the execution chamber when he was killed, I remember thinking, if there was a way, if we could just have a way that people in the country could just begin to meet prisoners, get that stigma off, get that separation. Because when you separate from people, you believe every stereotypical thing you ever heard. Same thing about white people out in the suburbs not connecting with black communities. How are you going to say, he's my brother, she's my sister, unless you have that deep human connection? Yeah, that's absolutely right. When there's no human connection, I mean, you're in your little bubble. It's so much easier to just write people off, innocent or guilty, system affected or not. I mean, people can be brutal on the Internet because the anonymity creates a boundary to humanity. But meet them in person or have a real moment. It's it's a real it can be a real game changer. That's why I think the Frederick Douglass Project, where you actually bring in people to meet prisoners so that you can shed that label is one of the most important things we can do. And for our listening audience, the Frederick Douglass Project is an organization on whose board Sister Helen and I both proudly serve. And our aim is to create prison visitation programs all over the country, in every state, if we can. So our goal is to create and forge real human connections because as someone who speaks with the incarcerated, well, both of us do, every day, especially the innocent, I can tell you the impact of that experience is impossible to ignore or to overstate. So we're facilitating structured and respectful meetings and conversations between the incarcerated and people from free society so that we can foster as many of those connections as we possibly can. It's a game changer. And if you want to know more or get involved, go to douglasproject.org or to learn more about any of the things we've talked about here please click the links in our bio. And before we go to our closing, I have a question. Everyone's used to this by now that I ask all of our guests, which is, Sister Helen, if you had a magic wand and could just wave it and fix one thing, what would it be? Proximity of the American people with people in prison. Because once people are labeled and demonized, and then thrown away, you'd believe every stereotypical thing. That would just be a really good starting place for us. And there are programs beginning to do that. 
until I had proximity, till I met somebody on death row, till I went to a prison. I was living in my own world, doing good little nun things and stuff, you know. But you have to be able to see it. Our people are good, American people, but they're separated. They believe all the terrible things and say, yeah, they deserve to be in there for life or these long, long sentences for like drugs because separation is lethal. Yeah. That answer is so much in line with the, it almost is the mission statement of the Douglas project. No, definitely. So um, last question I promise is, well, it's not even a question. It's the close of each of our shows. Every time we do Righteous Convictions, well, first, I thank our esteemed guests, in this case, you, <laughs> for being here. And then I turn my microphone off and ask you to just riff on what we call words of wisdom. We are in a huge shift in our society right now. There is an awakening going on on a lot of levels we have not seen before. Ironically, I think COVID, the pandemic, has jettisoned out of our usual modes of doing things. One example of that was that we were all in our homes and could watch that video of George Floyd being killed. Now you hear politicians saying much more about penal reform, about being smart on crime than tough on crime. So all through the 80s and the 90s, tougher and tougher sentences, three strikes, you out, throw people away. But we begin to wake up. In a lot of levels, we're waking up, and I really do see the hope in that. And I believe hope is an active verb. You got to be part of things. You got to be a participant in the history of what's happening now. Black Lives Matters made a tremendous difference. So people are waking up, and you got to sense when the movement's happening. You got to get in there and be a participant, not just a passive observer. Thank you for listening to Righteous Convictions. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Righteous Convictions is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.